Hello and welcome to Two Dads Can Do It, the adoption podcast. I'm Jack. And I'm Wes. Welcome back. It has been a while. We have been busy little bumblebees, haven't we not, Wessels? Oh yes. Time is flying by, lots going on. So yes, so apologies if you've been waiting for the next podcast. With bated breath. Yes. We are slightly later doing it than we planned, but yes, life, events, and everything else gets in the way. But we are here... We are here with our next episode where we are focusing on the joys that is stage one of the adoption process. You know what? Let's have a sound effect. I don't think we had enough sound effects in the last episode. We didn't. Lack of. (laughs) Wasn't that funny? It really wasn't. No, it wasn't. It wasn't actually funny because... Now, this is probably unique to me. You're going to hear a lot of... I'm sure you've read up a lot and you've heard a lot of people's experiences about their stage one training. However, has anyone had a near-death experience during their training? (laughs) I bet no one has. Well, guess what, folks? I did. I am perhaps unique. Honestly, people said adoption, it is a worthwhile journey. It is an important journey. It's emotional. However, no one had told me that I would possibly lose my life. And in this episode, we're going to find out all about it. It's horrific. It's tragic. And it involves coronation chicken. (laughs) All will be explained. If that doesn't keep you at the edge of your seats for the rest of this podcast, nothing will. But that is for the future. Let us compose ourselves and we will, just to remind those worthwhile listeners who've been with us um, for every episode of this rather belated podcast, we had been accepted finally after months of volunteer work at our local nursery and we were accepted on to stage one. Wes, do you want to give a a brief overview of the joys that is stage one? Yes. So stage one in total is meant to be completed within eight weeks. That's the government set the targets for stage one. Um, So a reminder, which we have covered in previous topics, but Stage one is meant to be completed within eight weeks, two months, and stage two to be completed within four months maximum. Things sometimes can go over if if something gets in the way and whatnot, but that is obviously on a case-by-case basis. Yes. But, but the government set targets are, as I say, stage one, two months, stage two, four months. And your social worker will be working to those time Yes, frames. yes. Um, yeah, your social workers have got those. That's In a way, that's part of their say, performance, I would say. And that's their work too. So especially when you get to stage two, which we'll come to on the next podcast, if it's in like our social worker, where when we were set together, we were very much basically putting dates in ahead and working backwards. So we'd got in, so we got the dating of our work to date and then fit and then working backwards in terms of slotting everything in from there. So it was very structured and, and to make sure things were done as and when they need to be done because there's just lots of signing off and checking and everything else that's going to go on after the fact. But anyway, back to stage one. So yes, stage one. So once you accept onto stage one, it's very much controlled by yourselves. There is a lot of paperwork involved yes. from the offset. That's explain yes. the one yes, magic it, word. Paperwork. Admin. If you like admin, you're in your element. Ding, 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 ding. If you're more of a practical kind of person. Like your good self. Yes, well, admin is my what's name as well, but... I, I, I'm yes. the one. I'm the admin. I'm oh, the yeah, paper yeah. queen, oh, aren't oh, I? Actually, actually in, some, in some of that, you actually relished it, didn't you? Oh, yes. You relished it more than I did. Very much. I yeah. will explain the bits I relished yes. in due um, But yeah, so what it involves is a, it's very much admin-led... And it's, and it's led by you in order to get it done on time. So what's involved in some of the paperwork you'll have to complete is a questionnaire, which involves a whole array of questions, basically covering all aspects of your life. We'll put a pin on that just for the moment. Yes. We'll go into that. Yes, we'll go into um, that, 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 is, that is the core part of stage one, I would say. That is, that's the biggest, in terms of things you have to do, I would say that's the biggest part of that which most time investment yes yes um the most work yeah the most work the detail and everything about it but as they will come into that shortly um so but that's the main crux of stage one itself but then around that you then have to get medicals done and in in terms of medicals because the question was asked to us several times during the process was how much does it cost to go through adoption and the answer is, as you may know, know this already, if you've been exploring adoption, adoption doesn't actually cost anything. The only thing you do have to pay out for is the medical itself. That is the only cost. And I think that was around 
80, 85 pounds each, I think it was, wasn't it? Yes, and around that kind of mark, wasn't it? And just to give you, yeah, it's not something that is available um, for free on the NHS no, no, in it, the UK. It, it's something you do have to pay for. The Or certainly in England anyway. Certainly in England, yeah. definitely. And ours was conducted in the beginning of 2019, just to sort of give you an idea of dates wise in yeah. terms of and money it might be slightly more expensive now who knows but we'll just focus a moment on yeah. medicals because yes. and, uh, but, but also it may it may be very in terms of the, the cost it may be very much gp led yes as very well much so. uh, yeah but on a surgery by surgery basis so but that was roughly what we had to pay for for, for, uh, for our surgery now the medicals themselves it's pretty painless you just involve um a chat with your gp they obviously have your records if there's any <laughs> aforementioned health issues they will discuss that with you and also during that they have a form which you take with you which they have to complete during and then then there's something else that they fill in which they then send back to them as well to the agency's pediatrician team yes i would say yeah that's all part of it. Yeah. And it involves some basic medical tests that go through your weight. They do things like checking your sight, uh, checking your lung capacity. It's all very basic stuff. It's not like a full, it's not, yeah. you're not having to get down to um, the nitty gritty, shall we say. Yeah. You're not getting naked. It's yeah, not, there's no coffin drop. There's no... Uh, no, as you say, it's all about eye, to, like eye, eyesight, body mass index. Yeah. Just a general basic MOT of your health in effect. However... And this, I think, is the thing that lures people into a false sense of security because the medicals themselves, it's a very small part of the process, but it can be the most elongated. We were very lucky. We have an excellent GPs where we live. Um, we got a appointment uh, very quickly. Um, as soon as we got the go-ahead to go through stage one, we immediately cracked on. We contacted our GPs. We got it booked in, had it done, dusted, no problems whatsoever. The amount of of potential adopters who we spoke to who were waiting for weeks on end to get an appointment who it was even if you're paying for it it wasn't something that they offered immediately and especially in a covid and in a post-covid era it's definitely something to be worth looking into the moment you get approved for stage one yeah i think that was the advice given to us we was told uh, once you're approved on stage one the first thing before you do anything just get your appointments booked in or your medical because or a bit on your surgery. If your surgery is is renowned to be bad for forward bookings, if your surgery is one that has to wait, say, three weeks just for a general appointment itself, right. yeah. then because part of the reason why I say that is if if it's like our surgery where we had to have two appointments by side, one for the one for the GP and one for the nurse, and they were booked in one after the other, so that has to be married up as well in terms of availability. And as I say, we was quite lucky. Yeah. But if your surgery is one that's really bad in terms of and you have to wait a long time for appointments in general then because if you need two one say one for the nurse one for the gp yes uh, first thing once once on stage one make that the first thing you do yep. get the, get the, get that done because we can't, can't stress that enough because that could because you could go through all the rest of stage one get everything done but then nothing could progress if your medicals haven't been returned and they're waiting on that um so then that could that could really hold things up just as an um, aside from that of our group of people that we did our stage one training with the only couple that had a protracted stage one that was longer than the eight weeks was purely because they were unable to get their medicals done in time. That was the reason when we yeah. said about extraneating, um, extraneating the, the circumstances, that was the reason. And it does happen. And again, they booked, they tried to book their appointment as soon as they got approved on stage one and took longer than the two months. Yeah. So honestly, don't delay. If you're thinking about adoption and you get on stage one that very day, book in the appointment. That's the one thing that you come away from this episode, apart from be wary of the coronation chicken, then that we will feel we've done something. So that is the medical element yep. of it. Yeah. So outside of the medicals, you then, as I say, which I think I may have mentioned already, there's references you need to get. One reference, every agency might be different. I'm not yeah, sure. I believe um, that there is some yeah, so, slight yeah, variation. Slight, slight variation, but I believe ours... F- each of us was one family member and one friend. Correct. Each, wasn't it? As well as our work. Yeah, yeah. As, as well as each getting our own individual employer references as well. So your, so your social worker will ask for details on those and they will separately 
get in touch with with your referees. They ask for if it is anything like ours, they'll be asked for a written reference. Yeah, and then that um, then each one generally we followed up either by a telephone or sometimes a face to face visit as well to talk through the reference. Um, so that's the reference part. And just as a, uh, just to add to that, um, your social worker does not need to contact your referees within stage one. If it's anything like our social worker, yeah, they didn't true. get contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't contact our referees until pretty much near the end of our stage two. So don't panic. A lot of adoptees I see who are going through the process really worry, why hasn't our social worker been in contact with our referees yet? Honestly, the last reference our social worker got was I think two or three days before they had to submit the prospective adopters report it can Mm. be really that close to the wire each social worker works differently some want to get it over and done with as quickly as possible others prefer to wait to the end so don't panic about the moment you give your references and if you do speak to your referees do say they could contact you whenever. It doesn't mean to say they're going to contact you the day after you've given the details to your social worker. It could be weeks or even months after that. So uh, just uh, relax, be patient, and it will happen. Exactly. No, it will, definitely. So that's the references. Next is DBS checks. The DBS is that something your social worker will also speak to you about. You have to have a full, a full enhanced DBS check to uh, to ensure everything is in good order there. That is done online. It's fairly painless to do. It's not really long-winded. No. Nope. It's just another thing that has to be ticked off. It's basically a legal way that they can check whether... It's basically check that you're legally kosher, isn't it? Yeah, legally kosher, but also... But also to, to ensure that you've got no previous convictions around anything to do with children. Yes, around, around children. indeed. Which isn't to say that you you could have had, um, we know people who have had criminal convictions and their DBSs have been cleared. It is purely to wheedle out any sort of criminal activity that may consider, that may be harmful to children. And that would put yeah. you very much in the warning of social workers. So that's basically what it is. It's pretty painless. It's, um, but again, it's one of those things that does take a little while to process. So again, don't sit on it, get it done and dusted as soon as possible. Yeah. I think for all of this, I think from our experience, and I think a lot of other people say is, is in terms of stage one, have a list of all the bits of stage one that you need to do. Yeah. And then I would say, work out which ones can be done fairly quickly and which also, and also which could be, time-consuming in terms of how long you have to wait for them to be done, like the medicals, like the DBS checks. And also, one last thing, in terms of referees, um, if you've had to do voluntary work, one thing thing they'll also do as well is they'll also write and contact your place of voluntary work to get a written reference from them as well. And to give you just context, um, my family referee was my mother and Wes's family referee was his sister. So you don't need to worry about, oh, is it too close or not close enough? And also, if you're using a friend as a reference, I would say ask a friend that you may have known for a good period of time, maybe yes. five plus years. Yes. That may get mentioned to you anyway of, of something of that ilk, but it's purely because obviously the longer you and you, you've both been friends, the more and the better they know you. Yeah. So, so the more, so the better judgment they'll have of you as a character. Yes. In, in, in effect. So bear that in mind as well. Yes. I would say. No fair weather friends. This is a deep personal. This is besties. <laughs> Besties to the max. Besties to the <laughs> max, indeedy. So, shall we talk about the questionnaire? Da, 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 da. Yes, the questionnaire. Ooh, I've not, I've not heard that one before. I like to introduce a new soundbite yeah. into our episodes. You know, it's quite it has a certain resonance, and uh, you know, I think it's got depth and mystery. <laughs> it's more like strange but true. <laughs> oh, bless those who grew up in the nineties, certainly. Oh yes. Anyway, dear old Mike. Yeah, yes, we are. De- God we love are, you. We are completely rambling now. We are completely rambling. So um, the questionnaire, or as it could be known, the book. Stop twitching. You can't see it, but Wes is actually physically twitching. It's very triggering talking about the questionnaire, (laughs) but we'll be fine. Some people may know it as the book. It's basically, it's the only way I could describe it is, or it could be, or as our adoption agency called it, the self-assessment. It's practically a, almost like an autobiography by another name. Each agency works in a slightly different manner, but in the case of our agency it was 
a list of questions in our self-assessment it has amassed up to over 70 questions it's a big old each each yes yes each i will say this is not a joint project this is something each person who's yes. adopting has to complete yeah so if you're a couple it's about you individually you each have to do it ultimate thing i will say about our the self-assessment this is something our social worker drummed into us is the more you put into the self-assessment the more the social worker will be able to get out of it mm. and it makes stage two process a lot more streamlined it makes it a lot easier because when you're going through stage two, which is mainly involving one-to-one interviews with your social worker, they take the information gleaned from your the, self-assessment and they use that. And indeed, uh, not to humble brag or any way, but our self-assessment had, was so chock full of information that basically our social worker took a lot of that content and basically copied and pasted it piecemeal into our prospective adopters report. Because as she said, you know you better and you speak more better about your... That's a really terrible way of speaking. Yeah. Oh, basically, <laughs> let me just rephrase that. Basically, no one knows you better than yourself, in effect. And you write about yourself so well, I can't yeah. improve upon this, so I'm just going to copy and paste. That was a social worker. She was happy with what... With what she was happy with what we gave and how we, how we typed it. Onto the questionnaire itself in stage one. Try and when you're typing, try not to look at the word count too much uh because as you're typing you can get carried away and before you know it you look at the word count and it will frighten the life out of you so (laughs) so again and this is not a humble brag this is not a comparison but my self-assessment because although it may be a shock to you to know this i rather enjoy typing a lot about myself i do find myself as a subject fascinating oh dear me Thank you, Wes. And my (laughs) word count, uh, I won't go into specifics, but it did go into the five figures. It was north of 10,000 and then some. So as I can say, if if you've had this itch or you've been yearning to write the autobiography, honestly, this is a great start. This is honestly, and um, I found it quite therapeutic talking about myself. That's 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 exactly what it it was. it does feel like and, and especially when you're talking when you're talking through it on stage two it is like a form of therapy because you are basically being forced to face to basically type things type about stuff talk about stuff that in another instance you really wouldn't want to for whatever that purpose may be but you're having to delve through the good the bad the ugly and i think the two things that any social worker would say is don't sugarcoat it. Don't try and, you know, hide facets of your life or that you don't want to talk about because honestly, even your greatest trials can be really your triumph. In, in, terms, of, in terms of adoption, being a massive triumph for you. In your younger life can hold you in really great stead and they will want mm. social workers and when you go to panel will want to see that. So mm. it's very much a no holds barred situation and especially when it comes to the self-assessment it's your one chance to really put as much about yourself as possible because once the social worker types up the perspective adopters report you don't have control of that so if you haven't put in the foundations and the groundwork in the self-assessment or questionnaire Mm -hmm. level then how can you expect your social worker to create a great prospective mm. adopters report that they can take to panel and that a panel can say that yes you are great to be you can be approved to be an adopter yeah you are basically trying to sell yourself to a panel of strangers that will not meet you until they see you at panel yeah they're basically you, the, the members of your panel will have your part a couple of weeks before your panel date rough roughly roughly and in that that needs to give off the best the, the most accurate best impression of you that it can be because these people don't know you from Adam and, and how know you how, and how on earth are they meant to get a rough judgment idea of whether to approve you or not? Yes, they'll meet you at panel, but they'll want to get a real, they need to get a really good idea of you. But prior to that, and the only way they're going to get that is from a photograph plus so many pages of black and white text in, in effect. So that's why being as honest and open as you can 
Don't try and hide. Don't try and fudge dates of when things happened. Just be completely honest. Um, some bad experiences in your life aren't necessarily a bad thing now because sometimes, you know what, they want people that can or that have had some bad experiences because sometimes people that have gone through something in life can actually empathize with a child that's gone through experiences as well. So yeah, just be, just use the form to blurt it all out. There's no right or wrong answers to go no. into it. There's no right, just, just be accurate. Spend your time on it. As I say, you've got eight weeks to do it. Yes. So if you have to spend the full eight weeks doing it, filling it in. All the better. Yeah. And yeah. It doesn't matter. It's, it's up there, but as long as it's done by the eight weeks. And, and as Wes mentioned earlier, with a social worker, this is a job. With you, it's your life. This is life-changing stuff you're doing here, people. So this isn't something you just want to do in a couple of days. This is something you want to put time in and effort in. You've come a long way to get to that point when you go into panel. And a good self-assessment, not always a guarantee that things in panel will go tickety-boo, but it's a very good foundation stone to lay. And just as a pre-warning, the questionnaire is are some very deep and some might say almost intrusive questions. These are very, you know, these are delving into every facet of your life. Some of it can be quite triggering. They will be asking facets about you that will bring up uh, memories that can be quite sad and quite tragic. Um, It is a really emotional process to go through when typing out your answers. So just be aware of that. It's why it's worth taking the time out to be able to do it properly and to be able to process the thoughts that are going through you and to answer as best you can. Um, I happen to have my uh, very wordy uh, self-assessment here and I'm just going to sort of go through um, a sort of fragment questions here. So obviously there is the basic ones. Tell us a bit about your life. Tell us about your family. Tell us what it was like growing up but then it's also questions like where do your values come from do you have a philosophy for life or religious faith describe your ethnicity and cultural background and its importance to you and there's questions like what did you value most about your childhood what element of being parented or cared for would you not like to repeat as a parent what are your saddest memories of your childhood as well as talking about things about how you will what your life will be like after you've adopted a child so one question is how will you juggle demands of home life and the work it's asking questions that basically a social worker or panel may ask at the time um, when it comes to going to panel it's sort of thought it's trying to train your mind to imagining what would life be like for you if you had a child would you be able to take care of that child what sort of life would you give them in terms of work life child balance how will you be able to juggle that these are all the sort of facets it's getting your mind trained up so that when it comes to panel they can say categorically you are ready for this because if you hadn't thought of it by that point the questionnaire will certainly bring up those questions and it's a good time to discuss and really process what you really think about the adoption process mm. and about adopting a child and your readiness for it your willingness for it um especially if and not always the case but there is a case where couples usually one parent is the driving force behind the adoption process and not necessarily the other. And that's something as well that needs, that can sort of come out during the questionnaire. And it's something that really shows a person's investment in the process. So those are the sort of questions. That was literally five or six questions. There's a whole 60 plus more questions to go on this, but it sort of gives you a sort of an idea that another question that's just come up here. What do you think the financial impact will there be to your household when a child joins you? It'll be expensive is not a sufficient answer. You do need to, <laughs> just to say, yes, a child is expensive. Our son is currently at nursery today. Nursery is expensive. <laughs> yes. They would want you to actually think about it. Yes. And show that you've actually thought thoroughly, emphasis on the word thoroughly, about the answer. Absolutely. Another part of paperwork that will come with the questionnaire that you have to fill in is a family tree. It's not a major detailed family tree. It's basically, it's the immediate 
it's, it's the immediate, isn't it? Uh, for memory. Yeah, although that can be quite convoluted and complex in and of itself. Yes, d- 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 oh, yes, which can be obviously all depending on your immediate family setup. Family tree in itself is more about your immediate family, sort of kind of like emphasis on living relations. They don't want to know about your great 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 grandmother. Well, they don't want to go back to the plague. Nobody wants to go back to the plague. We're living in coronavirus at the moment. Well, yes, true, true. But no, in terms of in terms of dates and how far back they want you to go. Yes, it's more, I'd say, up to the grandparents, I would say. And immediate. And, and siblings. No third cousins, twice removed, goldfishes, yeah. it, best it's friends, parrot, it's, basically. Yeah, it's basically yourselves. If you're, if you're married, when did you get married? Your parents, sort of siblings, half-siblings, step-siblings. Yes. And then in terms of generation, as far as the grandparents, yeah. I would say. Because then, as well as the family tree... What you also then have to complete is what they call an eco map. Yes. An eco map. That is basically brainstorming kind of, if it's in a frame, it looked like you've been brainstorming. Yeah. But basically in a nutshell. A spider it, graph. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you. You're very um, for the technical term there. In, in a nutshell, your basic, your eco map is your support network. You're putting in everyone, including your family members again. Yeah. But again, everyone you consider to be, in your support network, yes. in a nutshell, and and that you'd be saying who they are, where they are, are they a parent, are they a friend, your relation to they are they a friend, and also are they someone that you'd call on by telephone for support, or is there someone who you'd be able to see physically for support? Like, would you use them just for advice, like to ask advice, or would they be there to like for? Are they or are they people that you could, certain ones you could use for babysitting, for example? It's basically just so your social worker and your agency team can just get an overall indication, get an idea of the, the people around you and what impact they will have on you and how how they'll support you. Whether it just be advice on the phone or face to face, babysitting, be able to pick up from school. And, and yeah, who they who can rely on yeah. an emergency? Yeah, um, and so that again, it's it kind of sounds worse than it is, but it's not really much to worry about. It, it, I think when you when you look at it and you have to fill it in, you think, oh, what have we got to do here? But you know, it's not it's not the biggest thing in the world. And uh, ironically, we put in a lot of love and effort into our eco, our support map none of it actually was worth it because literally uh coronavirus coronavirus so our beautiful so apart from the odd zoom chat and the phone call uh physical quite a few of the people who we've put on the uh support map um still have not met our son even though it's been a year since he came to us yes purely because of covid so i think Covid, we've taught we've taught a lot about people and, and especially for social workers and how families are. Yeah, because it, it I think it, because people have needed to find support in many other ways and means uh, where the physical support has not been able to be there. No, it has been on the phone. It has been found out via Zoom. So support has not happened in the way it normally would have done. It hasn't happened in other ways. So if you're maybe like us that don't live the closest, like, well, our, our family, roughly about an hour, yeah. between an hour, hour and a half away from where we are. Most of them, we've got, we've got friends, we've got some great friends around us and that as well. So we're not, we're not isolated literally, but don't think, oh, well, I've got no family around me. Oh, they're literally all a bit further away. It's, n- it's not, it's not the build and end all. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I say, think, think of COVID and how everyone's been isolated. Even if family have only lived around the corner and you've only been able to, basically doorstep them for five minutes uh, to say hello. Everyone's been in a position where they've not had the support, whether people live nearby or further away. So yeah, so take something from that. There's a whole, there's, I think with a lot of life in general, there's a a real learning curve going on at the moment. And I think things will continue to evolve on that. So yeah, so that's, so with the questionnaire, that's the, Family tree and there's the eco map. Both will take time just for the designing and also the fact trying to fit everything in onto one piece of paper. It can be a bit of a, it can be a bit of a struggle, shall we say? Yeah, I would say especially if you've got big family, big uh, big families around you, and you and and you've got a massive circle of friends who are close to you, who you know will be part of your support network. Yeah, it, as, as Jack says there, it takes a bit of jig, uh, rejigging to kind of get get it on there, resizing and whatnot. Because, yeah, because the whole thing is a one-page document, not two, three pages. It's all got to be on one, one page. So, yeah, so that's that. And one 
further document, which you may or may not need to fill out uh, as part of your stage one assessment is your pet assessment. Mm -hmm. Um, This is something that uh, Wes and I, alas, uh, do not have to worry about. Alas, all our pets uh, that we loved um, as children and young adults have gone to the great vets in the veterinarian in the sky. But those Um, of you who may have pets will need to fill out Quite a lot of documentation. Uh, yeah, for your pets. If you're an admin fan, fantastic. If you're not an admin fan, it's a little bit unlucky because the better paperwork you have to do in general. As much as I love dogs, we've both grown up with dogs and whatnot. Yep. Um, it was at this precise moment in my life, I was actually quite relieved we didn't have any pets because it was one chunk of paperwork we did not have to worry about, which... Which I think even you would say, I think even you would say, wouldn't you? As much as you love filling in the questionnaire and everything, it was a relief to not to think, okay, we haven't got with that, we haven't got to fill in. It's oh yeah, it was it was it was quite nice. But but the reason why that is is you're probably thinking, oh, why would they know about my dog or my cat? It's purely because because your pets are part of your household. And again, like everything else, like about you and your house in itself as well, the panel will want to know a panel and your well and your social workers will want to know about your pets. But also in terms of pets, it's it's also more of a health and safety theme because they need to yes. make sure that if you've got a pet that doesn't get on with children and adopted a dog from Battersea Dog's Home or somewhere, that dog is not good around children, then unfortunately that is something that the social workers will question. It sounds really tough, but from a social worker's point of view, at the end of the day, their priority is over a potential child coming to live with you, not your pet, unfortunately. But yeah, so it's, it's, all, done for, it's all done for the right reasons. And through, all of, and through everything, from everything about you, pets, your house... Everything you're doing is about one thing, a potential child out there. It's 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 not about us per se in the long run. It's not about us, it's not about the house, it's not about the pet. It all comes back to that potential little human being that will be coming with you or coming to you in hopefully not too distant future. Absolutely. Um yes, it is tough. Some people find the whole assessment very tough because there's a lot that gets unearthed, there's a lot of things they have to face, a lot of some a lot of obstacles some people have to face depending on their circumstances but it's all for the right reasons and it's just there and it's about one goal becoming parents and doing the right thing so after all of that you have all this paperwork to fill but that's not all because another oh, i hear you saying out there what there's more Yes, there's more. Thanks. Yeah. There's more, Wes. There is more, more, more. Um, How do you like it? How do you like it? Thank you. There is the little matter of training. So to give you an overview, ours was physical training. We actually went to a location and we actually sat Guess what? In an actual room with actual people side by side without masks. There was a time when that happened. No two meter distancing. Can anyone remember when that was we the case? shared food. We shared, well, the food, well. Ah, we'll come on to that, but yes. So yes, yes there yes, are yes, elements yes. of it that actually online is probably best place for training, <laughs> um, which I will go to shortly. However, that may change. Online may become less of a thing and it may go back to more physical experiences where you do have to go to a location. So hopefully this, oh, what which, we're going to discuss. But you know what? I hope it does because yes. I don't think people would benefit in the same way that actually no. being there and actually meeting the people. No, absolutely. So each agency, it's um, operated slightly differently dependent on the agency. In the case of our agency, we had to do three days of training in location as part of stage one. In stage two, that got you still have to do training in stage two, just an FYI. That was two days. So five days in total during the whole adoption process, we were on location. Yeah. And, and again, I think you said there, agencies can be different. I think yeah. so, I think some agencies do the whole five days in one go. Yeah. Some split it out. Varies massively. So our training, which was in a location about, was it 45 minutes away from where we live? Roughly, yeah. And we live in a fairly big county, so it's 45 minutes. It comprised of, again, our agency op- um, offered training every month because it's quite a big agency. Again, certain agencies may differ. Ours were operated every month and 
when, depending when you got approved to be on stage one is when you got basically assigned a time when you went on training. For some people, the training is literally the very last thing you will do in part of stage one. You'll have done all your paperwork in advance. And just because of how the dates fall, that's when you will have done it. For us, we literally got under the wire. We got approved to go on stage one one week and they said can you join us for our stage one prep training the following week so we were the newest couple to have been approved for stage one when we went on our training but there were couples who had been doing who were nearly at their eighth week and this was literally the last thing to do before they got sign off and they went to stage two so we were the new kids on the block Our training comprised of around 12 different couples of... Into stage one. Yeah. Yeah, I think including us is around 12 couples, roughly about 12 couples altogether. It was a mixture of same-sex couples, heterosexual couples. Different ages. Different ages, different experiences of what brought them to adoption. We were on the younger end of the spectrum. Couples in their late 30s, early 40s were there. There was one was younger and was an older partner, for instance, as well. Um, We had a great training. Trainer on our prep training. Uh, she was a very experienced social worker and she basically got us running from the very beginning. So to give you an overview of what happened during our training, it comprised of a mixture of chatting about yourself, having workshops, having sort of, what would you call it? Not games, what would you call it? It's more like kind of, I don't know, it was it was kind of like little tasks. Yes. It, it, it was little tasks. From my point of view, there's nothing to worry about because, because before starting the adoption process, we'd look at form, forms online and stuff. People have said about role play this, role play that. Yes, there's a and, lot and, of role play involved. Well, to a degree, but not in the not not in the essence of where individual people were having to stand up in front of everyone and demonstrate something or other in in a way. It wasn't like that. Again, every agency may do it differently, but in terms of ours, it wasn't quite like that. It was yeah, it was, it was, there was some role play, but it was involving everyone getting involved at the same time. Yes, so which I think made people feel more at ease that they weren't being the spectacle. Absolutely, uh, which I think, which I think does put some people off. I would say, um, yeah. So a lot of role play. There were some things where the whole group was split into two, and you were having to think about a subject, and you were having to do like a spider graph of or like a brainstorming of different thoughts around a certain subject for example within adoption yes yeah that kind of thing which is really good was it interesting i will say about the training was the from the whole overview was less about us and about reframing our thought process in how adoption affects a child it's very much about how does the child feel emotionally about adoption it's about forming attachment it's about forming bonding it's all reframed less about you as a parent and more as a child in relation to you so one example of role playing and this happened quite early on is each couple were to split off walk around the room stop and then basically go to the nearest person as long as it wasn't your partner and put your head on their shoulder so very highly intimate very early on and it sounds uncomfortable it was meant to be uncomfortable it was meant to frame up how a child feels being adopted and in the first days being up close and personal with effectively a stranger we as parents you know about them you've been working towards being their parent for so long you are almost preconditioned to love that child that child does not know you from adam and that child will be probably terrified will be awkward and it's trying to get your mind set into the frame into imagining what that experience would be like for that child it sounds uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable, but I I was quite lucky. I got shacked up with someone who worked for Border <laughs> Security and he smelt delightful. I have <laughs> no idea what his aftershave was. And to this day, I should have asked him, but I felt well, that's a level of intimacy that I was at. But I was very grateful. He smelt delightful. So I will say on your first day of prep training, you may not even have to do this. But make sure you scrub up nicely and smell good. Because if you're up close and personal with a stranger, you want to be smelling your best. But that was a sort of training. Those were the sort of role playing games that we had to do. There was loads of examples of that. One thing as well was we had to build, we each got given a piece of A3 paper and we had to write 
different elements of our childhood, like good stuff about holidays you took, who you lived with, where you lived, all sorts of different things. And you were meant to rip it up into different parts. And then you were meant to hand it different parts to different other couples and then bring the pieces you got together into this little mismatched jigsaw to kind of reframe it as to understand this is a an adopted child's life now in terms it's a fragmented experience of life with their birth parents to their foster carers to life with you it's not one complete picture it's multiple facets all brought together it's um little things like that and that was a sort, yeah. of, sort of thing in terms of role playing um that was sort of really important i mean yeah. as well as that um social worker wanted you to talk a little bit about yourself about sort of child you were hoping for um these are all the little things that throughout the three days that you were really sort of working towards but the main sort of meat and potatoes of the training was the talks by guest speakers guest speakers yeah. and they were amazing so to again different agencies have different guest speakers we were really lucky we had a paediatrician we had a legal expert talking about and, and, and i think that's quite nice because the paediatrician was one of our panels wasn't she she was indeed she actually was one of our panel members yeah. which is really nice um we also had a legal expert we had a foster carer but perhaps most poignantly of all we had a child who'd been adopted he was at that point 17 and we had a actual birth mother who own children had been adopted the birth mother was on our day two of training she had come with a member of CAFIS who are the people who are responsible for well, the they're the intermediary between you between you the adopted parents and the birth parents when it comes to um letterbox contact or contact in general which is yeah. something we'll oh, be discussing yes it, again further down the line but letterbox contact is something you may well have come across uh but cafes are the intermediary they're where everything filters through them so yeah so the birth mum was accompanied by uh someone from there and it's very interesting because again the point is it's to understand life as a birth mother and to understand the importance of if you can maintain contact with your birth mother, whether it would be all birth parents, whether it be through letterbox or whether the contact is a bit more involved. Again, we'll be discussing that later on. I think it's to also to demystify the mystique around birth parents, because I think people can come into the adoption process with very preconceived ideas of what birth parents could be like you may have very negative connotations of a birth parent yeah and 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 i think sometimes some people think of adoption as if a child's been put up for adoption is well birth parents deserve it they wouldn't be put up for no reason yes and you do learn it's not as black and white as that no far from it there is a lot of mitigating circumstances the circumstances of a lot of birth parents life and this is something that is discussed at length during training and it can be very intense and you will be discussing a lot of different elements that are very unpleasant and very difficult to hear. You could be talking, you'll be talking about children who may have been victims of sexual abuse, physical abuse, but as well as that, also understanding the backgrounds of parent, of birth parents and what they themselves may have um, endured and suffered. And the hour, the 30 minutes we spent with the birth parent where she was telling us about her experiences of being a birth parent and what it's like to lose a child, it was heart rendering. It was the most emotional part of it. And she was incredibly brave. And the reason she mainly did that was to reiterate the importance of maintaining contact. And it is something that certain adoptive parents find very difficult to get their heads around the notion that, but we are the child's parents that the birth parent has lost their right to be the parent of our child. Why do we need to keep up maintaining contact and but again it also reverts back to the importance of it's less about what you feel and about how your child feels that birth parent is the link to your child's past and as your child grows up your child will be asking questions about your birth parent what was my birth mum like what was my birth dad like and it's about putting in the groundwork early and to find out as much as you can 
about your birth parents and yep. to main, try if you can maintain contact. It doesn't always work out. Sometimes the birth parents contact does fade away and you may spend years where you do not hear from your birth, the, your child's birth parents. But the, what our agency was trying to reinforce is the importance of, if you can, from your perspective, always try and maintain contact. And that was something that was the sole reason the birth parent was there. It was for other people in her situation who were relying on that contact. Yeah. And especially because it was been on your child. I think the most common way of it is annual letterbox. Uh, so it's one letter each from birth parents to you and vice versa a year. They call it an annual letterbox. I think that's the most common one. Yeah. And again, I think I'll just emphasize what you said there. And, and, and I think because that's only once a year and, and if that child's got a birth parent where they wait for that, they live, for that each year it really hits home as to how important that can be and and i mean it highlights again how different the circumstances yeah. are because not all it's not a case that all birth parents are where their children being adopted so they won't care whether they get a letter or not because because i think especially for us i think that's where it hit home even more Very so much so actually having a birth parent there that really relied on that letter um so the, as well as that the training does go through the nuts and bolts of the adoption process that was actually what was really interesting when we had a natural lawyer who was explaining how the adoption process works from a legal perspective how as adopters we come into the process quite late we are literally the last step in a child being placed for an adoption usually the you know the hallmarks the framework of a child coming into care and then being put up for adoption and then being adopted will have happened months, even years beforehand. Yeah, all, all depending on the individual circumstance because there, there may be social workers involved where they may have been trying to work with the, with the birth family to for their child to stay with them and, and look at different things. They may have looked at that, that the child maybe not living with the birth parents, but living with another member of the family, all different aspects, all, all different aspects. And that all gets turned over, that all gets chewed over, thought about, assessed way before really a child being put up for adoption is the last port of call. It's it's the last stand. It's I think it's to reiterate to the understanding and people who may have concern of oh what happens if we've adopted a child and that child has returned to their birth families. It does happen, but I think it's the lawyer who spoke to us wanted to us to mm-hmm. understand that actually everybody will have put in the effort to try and maintain <clears throat> that child within their birth family. Yeah. Adop- no one wants a child to be put up for adoption. No, adoption no. is literally the last post. Yeah. It's the last option left available to them. Yeah. And it's and, great because and, obviously as adopters, we it gave us the opportunity to be parents of a child who otherwise would have been in the circumstances that they would have been in with their birth family. But if there was any way that our child could have remained with their birth family, the social team, lawyers, legal team, everybody would have endeavoured to have kept yeah, it. Uh, yes, and all of that would have been looked at prior. Yeah, because as, as like we just said, adoption is the last, is, is the very last thing that's considered. And and I think they might. They, I think in the past there may be uh, misconceptions of, oh well, they'll just put the child up for adoption. That's it. But that isn't the, that isn't the case at all. No. It, it's very much it's far more convoluted, yes, more complex, more complex. And 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 they do. And again, all, every case every case is different. But from if you like us, you've um, when you're going through the, your, your assessments and everything, and you're reading stuff, right, uh, watching stuff, and if you're looking at old documentaries, for example, um, it just demonstrates on how much they endeavour and do their very best to try and keep the children with their families. It's yeah, it will go through, um, and some families, it's it's not possible. Yeah, even through the best will in the world so yeah so thank goodness for the children adoption is there because absolutely for some, for some children that is their only opportunity yeah and going back to talking a lot of the discussions is the effects of neglect and trauma may have had on the child that's something that's discussed a lot during training with um, a pediatrician as well as sort of different illnesses and conditions and disabilities a child may have um, so pediatrician 
Dietricians will be upfront and honest about what it's like to adopt a child who may have fetal alcohol syndrome or a child who may be autistic or have severe learning difficulties or a physical ailment, um, as well as the emotional and mental repercussions of a child who has experienced sexual abuse and trauma and physical abuse. And there is a lot of heavy, hot, there is a lot of heavy discussions on that. It is a very emotional discussion yep. and it is something you need to be prepared for. And yeah, and all of this, it's nothing to scare you. Nope. It's not to scare you, but it's to be real. Because because uh, I think the one way to look at it is, at the end of the day, no child is put up for adoption for no reason. Absolutely. And and when you, when, when you say it like that, you then automatically think about, well, what sort of, what sort of situations would they have been in? Was um or potentially being in, and that's kind of where that kind of element of it comes in. Yeah. Because, and really, it's know, sh- shocking and surprising. Yeah. Sort of some, some things that you do learn that yeah. that, 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 that does happen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I say it's not there to scare you, but it's to be real. Because at the at the end of the day, the social workers as well will not be doing their job if they're not being real with you. They have to, they have to prepare you for potentially. All depending, all depending on whether you have, have a newborn child, a child with maybe five, six, can, can all vary, but they have to look at it in the general sense and they have to prepare you for the potential of where your child may well have come from, yep. what challenges that child may have. And it, it's not easy listening. It's not easy viewing if you end up watching, if you want to course it ends up as, as any videos, but it's there to inform and educate. Absolutely. And there is positive aspects of it as well. Um, talking when we, in our training, we had child who'd been adopted as well as a parent who had adopted and just hearing their experiences it really does gladden your heart and does give you purpose and the actual feeling that yes this is something you can do and that it is a wonderful experience so as much as there is the heavy stuff there is also the lightness and the joy as well as that one thing also that we had as well as part of our training is explaining just what was taking place for the rest of our adoption journey in terms of stage two as well as panel and more importantly matching and that was the first time during that training that we were shown an actual profile of a child obviously for legal reasons names and certain details had been removed but it gave us a very clear idea of a typical child who comes into adoption and our trainer was basically saying this is a profile. Have a look at it. What information can you glean out of this that may tell you about a child? Because a profile tries to give you as much information as possible, but there are holes in it. Sometimes you may not have all the information you feel you need, mm-hmm. but there's enough information there usually so that you have a clear understanding of that child. And that part of the training was very much about trying to get our heads around it and to understand what we should be looking for. Um, so again, that was a very interesting, it really held us in good stead later yeah. on, especially when it came to our son, because our son's profile, there was holes in it and there was lots of different facets that we were not entirely clear, but because of our experience with our training, we knew what to look for. So that was part mm. of it as well. But most importantly of all, the great thing about the training is it gets you in to meet up with other fellow adopters and they can become part of your social bubble and your yep. so sorry social bubble i'm talking very covid terms here they can be <laughs> part of your social network and they can be there to support you we set up a whatsapp group immediately afterwards and we were chatting and actually a, another couple became friends with ours and we meet we have when we can we have met up with them in a socially distanced fashion of course and uh, they themselves adopted a little boy and uh, together our two sons have played together so it's beautiful to see like the mm. full circle of our training come together however there is one element of our training that was perhaps memorable for all the wrong reasons um and is something that uh, yes wes it is coming so as part of and this is why hopefully for you maybe the training may remain online but our trainer thought it would be a wonderful idea if everyone should bring some food to the uh proceedings um as a to have a little uh, buffet party to have a little buffet party so that we can all chat for an hour and get to know each other even better um we were slightly panicky because we had taken upon ourselves to 
have a little hotel stay for our training. So we actually went and stayed at a nearby Premier Inn just so that we could have, you know, very quick and easy because we didn't have a car then. So it was a sort of convoluted train journey to get to the uh, training. So we felt it would be better to stay at a hotel. So we were sort of shacked up in a Premier Inn, which was basically populated by uh, road workers who all breakfasted in their high-vis jackets. So um, we did not have a kitchen to prepare beautiful and glorious stuff. So we ended up ransacking uh, Waitrose quite early on um, at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, Very good quality cocktail sausages, but you know, I'm not ones we made (laughs) ourselves. So of course, certain couples who did live at home and could prepare food, they really went to town and there was all sorts there. There was cakes, there was people who bought their own homemade pâtés in, fresh baked bread. And then there was the couple who decided to bring in their homemade coronation chicken. Now, I like coronation chicken. Wes likes coronation chicken. This coronation chicken, and I'm sure she endeavoured to do her best, but it didn't help the fact that she basically brought it in in what could only be described as a large blue plastic water butt. She had supersized the portions so that it would feed a small country, let alone 25 prospective adopters. It was ginormous. It was basically, she walked into the training centre and her poor husband was literally nearly get up, got a hernia carrying in. So that did not make the experience any more appealing. And she was basically, because of the sheer size of it, she took it upon herself to do the servings. She commandeered all the breads and she gave what can only be described as heroic sized portions of this coronation chicken. And it was almost as big as Wes's head. So Wes, you were slightly scared, I think, of the... Sort of, why? Why is it that big? <laughs> Charming. <laughs> Your head wasn't that big, but the chicken, the coronation chicken portions were. Oh, I, I, I think it's that big, I could be sat in it. So I thought it was rude to refuse. So I took one for the team and I had a... I'll, I'll, be, I'll be forever in your debt. Thank you. See, this is this is what, how our marriages survived. <laughs> the things I do for our marriage. I <laughs> had this mammoth portion of coronation chicken and I did not know this. Wes did. This is important to note because now for those of you who are unsure, Coronation Chicken, it was created um, for the Queen's Coronation in 1953. It was celebrated. It was a uh, recipe created for the occasion. It should comprise of usually chicken, yogurt, mango chutney, curry powder or mayonnaise and sultanas or raisins. Important emphasis on the word sultanas and raisins, basically small things. Sometimes it can also be grapes, but small bits of grape. Very important note. Because unbeknownst to me, but Wes had clocked it. After the water butt of Cornish and Chicken had arrived, the lady had taken it upon herself to add grapes to the mixture. Not chopped up grapes, not quartered grapes, not even half grapes. Whole grapes. Whole massive <laughs> Black, I'm glad you're laughing. Whole massive black grapes into the mixture. So there I was, innocent, expecting like easy mouthfuls of soft, unctuous chicken and tiny little raisins. I brought that coronation chicken to my mouth, took a bite, swallowed, thinking it would slip down easily. And then, lo and behold, I started to gag. I started to choke. Because unbeknownst to me, I was tried to swallow an entire massive black grape. I needed thumping on the back. I was like, what on earth? I saw my life flashing before my eyes. I thought, this is the end. I'm going to die during my adoption training. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be sacrificed to the cause. My poor child, whoever it would be, would never know his papa. I mean, you can feel the emotion right oh now. Oh my goodness, you're so where's, dramatic. Where's the violins? Oh where's the violins? Goodness. And then lo and behold... I coughed up, finally, and out came the massive grape right in front of me. I lived to tell the tale just about. I don't know, that wasn't quite the sound effect I was hoping for. This was the sound effect. No. Third time. (laughs) 
I will get used to this one day. Um, so yes. Um, so yes, I survived. That is how I survived my tragic experience with combination chicken. Bob's managed to get two parents still. Our son has still got two parents for some inexplicable reason that did not swerve. This did not influence the social worker's decision. The person who inflicted that coronation chicken upon me still became, got approved as an adoptive parent. Some would say nearly killing a fellow adoptee was not the way to go, but that's what, and that's the way the cookie crumbles. She survived. I survived. We're all happy parents. That was the end. And that was the low point of our training. But the three days were incredibly useful. It was incredibly yeah. important. And yeah. it is something that it's one of the most enjoyable, the most emotional, and it is the most interesting parts of the process. So if you do go, whether it's online or not, you will learn a great deal out of it. Not every agency has the ability to, uh, doesn't always offer a chat with a birth parent but if they don't do ask if there is a possibility of being able to speak to one because it is a really important i think part of it and i think those who actually do have had the experience of having a chat with a birth parent does find it extraordinarily useful so do you know do talk to your social worker about it and do find out what sort of speakers um that your agency offers because the better the guest speaker the more interesting and more involved your training can be yeah but also also it gives you a full all-around view on adoption the impact it has on everyone because because the potential impact it may have on you uh, the impact it has on birth parents and 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 you're never going to get a clearer idea of the impact it has on a birth family unless you hear it from themselves yeah, so 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 yeah. So if you can hear, so if you can hear from a birth parent, an adopted child, uh, a foster carer, pediatrician, there's more. There's more. There's more speakers we had as well. But if if you can get an all-round experience, more facets, then I, I think it's it's, it's a no-brainer. Two very quick points um, before we do wrap up um, this episode. One is people have this preconception that you are being judged on your training. No, you do not. Um, there is the trainer there is not putting tabs on you. They're not reviewing you. They're not thinking. So if you're worried that you are really shy and you're nervous and you may not be the most loudest or the most proactive member of the group, don't worry about it. Um, they yeah. see so many different people. It really doesn't matter. There was one occasion our social worker, our trainer said where one dad did fall, perspective dad did fall asleep during a training that might be something I would advise not doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, try to... Stay conscious. Yeah, try to stay conscious. I mean, I managed to stay conscious, even though I had a near-death experience, not going back to it, but it's Oh, still... my goodness me. But, oh. but just to say, you know, please try and remain conscious. And secondly, one tip is, by all means, there will be lots of occasions where you have to ask questions. Please do. Mm-hmm. But I would say... Do ask questions that are open and pertinent for everybody. Don't try and ideally don't streamline a question that is only specific to your experience. Like, oh, can you tell me a school that might be useful, that is pro-adoption or really good with adoptive children in my name of local town or area? That's great for you, but it's not necessarily great for all the people in your adoption training yeah. and also it's not and also if you're going in and wanting to adopt a newborn child primary schools aren't on top of the uh, they're, they're about four or five years away from going to primary school worrying about schools at that particular point is not on the priority list either yeah, yeah. absolutely so through the whole five days you'll have opportunities at any point to ask questions please do ask questions I just say make sure oh, well not, not make sure but we, we would advise that they are kind of relevant and pertinent to, to everybody yeah, to, to every everyone because because everyone's going through the same experience yes it's a community uh, yes yes yeah um the training isn't there for like a for, for the social worker to be there as your advisor to guide you in all aspects of your child's upbringing that isn't what it's about but yeah and also enjoy it it as say it's it's hard going it is tiring but it's i think it's, it's very fulfilling and you come away with a completely different mindset to what you had before potentially and also you you learn so much and yeah and and it's a great education so after doing all of that after the training and fulfilling all the paperwork in we finally 
completed it. We handed everything in after the eight weeks. We signed it off. We got it signed off. And after everything was reviewed by the our agency, they had made the decision that we had passed stage one and we were going on to stage two. So I think that's a good place for us to draw this episode and <laughs> this experience to a close. Hopefully you found it really um, informative and useful. Yes. As always, any questions, any feedback, please do email us. Please do get in touch with us via our Instagram page. Which is where's? At two, the numerical two, dads can do it. So that's at two, dads can do it with an, a number two, not the word two. Yes, do give us a follow on Instagram. Um, any questions, please do feel free to ask. Yeah, e- uh, yeah, so yeah email us, message us through Instagram. Yeah. Um, please do rate and subscribe where either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. A five-star review uh, will boost our um, engagement and we'll get uh, more people listening um, and hopefully benefit from our worlds of per- words of pearly wisdom. Well, and yeah. yes, avoid the coronation chicken people. That is the word of advice of today. Top tip. Top tip. Um, but we really hope you've enjoyed it. Hopefully uh, the next episode where we will be discussing our stage two experiences, which does not involve near-death experiences, you'll be glad to hear. It's, it's all based on the comfort of our own home. Um, will be, uh, you'll learn a lot about, um, and hopefully will not be as long as this, but life does sometimes get in the way. But we do really appreciate um, the feedback and we really do appreciate you taking the time out to listen to us rabbiting on. But uh, I'd like to thank Wes. Thank you, Wes. Thank you very much. Um, I'd like to thank myself. Thank you, Jack. Thank You're you, welcome. Jack. Thank you. I'd like to thank uh, Lucy Richards for singing our little opening ditty. Thank you, uh, Lucy. You can follow her at uh, on Instagram at South Sea South Sea Crib C R I B, where she is renovating her dream home. Um, very interesting it is too. Uh, but that's all for today. Um, enjoy your. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, week, month, whenever you're listening to this, and hopefully we will be back soon. Yeah, take care. Toodle pip. Cheers, bye-bye.